Additional support for today's Heat Treat Radio episode is provided by Furnaces North America, the virtual event. Don't miss out on the Heat Treat Industries' first mega-sized virtual event. Find out more at www.furnacesnorthamerica.com. Welcome to Heat Treat Radio. I'm your host, Doug Glenn, publisher of Heat Treat Today, the media brand where you can find practical heat treating technologies and tips for the aerospace, automotive, medical, and energy industries, as well as general manufacturing. This month, top suppliers have been sending in their Heat Treat tips, which Heat Treat Today will publish in our Furnaces North America September edition. More on the 101 Heat Treat Tips opportunity later. But first, in today's episode of Heat Treat Radio, we are talking about the Center for Heat Treating Excellence and the role it plays in connecting researchers and heat treaters across North America. The topic is especially relevant to manufacturers with their own in-house heat treat departments who want to know how to join innovative research with their everyday practical heat treat needs. One of CHTE's members and current chairman, Jeffrey Fuller, metallurgical manager at Amstead Rail Company, will talk about his experience at CHTE and the diverse projects that the center has undertaken. My name's Jeff Fuller. I am the metallurgy manager at Amstead Rail Company Incorporated uh, with the Brenco Division in Petersburg, Virginia. We'll also hear from Professor Richard Sisson, the key heat treat researcher and lecturer at Worcester Polytechnic Institute, WPI, as he shares his input on both his history and the present operations of the center. First of all, welcome to Heat Treat Radio, gentlemen. Jeff, can you share with our listeners where you stand in the world of heat treat? Sure. Well, I got my bachelor's degree in materials engineering at Virginia Tech. My first job was actually at an iron foundry. Then I transferred to a manufacturing company up in upstate New York. And there, I was exposed to a lot of heat treating very, very quickly. So I was heat treating tool steels. I was heat treating stainless steels. I was heat treating uh, copper alloys. Mm -hmm. And so I had a lot of experience with a wide range of atmospheres, a wide range of types of furnaces, and a wide range of materials um, when I was working at that company. That was my first real exposure to heat treatment, particularly the tool steel part, where I was working with a wide range of tool steels, and we had a couple of uh, ips and batch furnaces that we were using. Like I used to call it, it was like going going to metallurgy school all over again because <laughs> I had such a wide variety of things to work with. Right. Uh, after that, I spent uh, several years working at a uh, specialty steel manufacturer in upstate New York as well. I ended up transferring over to Brenco. Uh, Brenco used to be its own independent company in the, uh, this was in the mid-90s when I came over to Brenco. And um, uh, this was where I've spent the bulk of my career. I've been over here uh, since 1995. And um, we have a large captive heat treating operation here, primarily produce bearings for the rail industry. Uh-huh. Okay. And so we're doing a lot of carburizing. We have uh, pusher furnaces, pit furnaces, batch hardening furnaces. Um, and um, uh, so I've spent a lot of time dealing with carburization and some of the, uh, some of the idiosyncrasies of the carburizing process. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and, and we've seen how to, how to make parts well and, and some things that don't make parts quite as well. Uh-huh. But um, we're now part of what's called Amstead Rail. 
tell us about your involvement and your current position with the Center for Heat Treating Excellence. Sure. I was looking for an opportunity to kind of branch out and get some more support for uh, heat treating research and other kinds of research uh, into heat treating issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are actually a fairly small company, even though the Amstead Group is a large company with many employees. We're also spread out over many locations, and a lot of our locations are fairly small. Our particular location here in Petersburg, Virginia, is only about 400 employees, Mm -hmm. and the Metallurgical Engineering Group uh, consists of uh, myself and another metallurgist, Mm -hmm. and then our lab technicians. So there are occasions where we run into issues where we we were looking for a little bit more support and the opportunity to engage with other people that might be able to help us answer questions and solve problems that were beyond our particular knowledge. Mm -hmm. So we started looking for uh, a group that could help us out, uh, whether it was going to be just a professor at a university or or some other kind of group. And we became aware of the industry uh, university consortium type model. Uh-huh. And so we started looking around and we wanted to see if there was a consortium that, that would suit our needs. Right. And we found a few, but the, what, drew, what drew our attention to the CHTE up at Worcester Polytech was the fact that it was focused specifically on heat treating, uh-huh. uh, that it was run by a physical metallurgist. Right. And also, to be perfectly honest, one of the main draws for us was that the entry or the the membership fee is very, very reasonable compared to some of the other consortia that mm-hmm. we've talked with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we put all those things together, we said, you know, hey, we, we want to give this a try and see uh, if we think this is the kind of thing that's going to be beneficial for us. Right. So that was around 2015. Mm-hmm. So I guess my company, we've been members now for about five years. Right. And um, uh, and I was asked to join the board of directors and become the chairman of the board of directors in 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I've been chairman, I think, now for, I guess, I just had my fourth meeting Right. right. Uh, as chairman. That's great. And now let's move to Rick. Rick, in this podcast, you sort of represent the research end of this collaboration with your work at WPI. Why don't you give us an understanding of how CHTE operates and also why it might be helpful for heat treaters? The mission is to provide a, a research home for the heat treating industry mm-hmm. in the United States, even though we have had international members, mm-hmm. but to provide a home to work on you know current uh, issues in the heat treating industry. Right. And so we want to provide, we also provide uh, graduates who can go to work in the industry. Yes. Mm-hmm. And this is, uh, mo- this is uh, you know, there may be, we have some undergraduates who work with us, but it's mostly uh, MS and PhD students and a lot of postdocs mm-hmm. who work on this mm-hmm. uh, as well. Okay. Okay. The Center for Heat Treating Excellence is an industrial uh, sponsored and led consortium. Uh, we conduct uh, industry-proposed and industry-selected research on topics that are important to their to the heat treating industry today. Uh-huh. Our organization is focused on timely research to immediately support the industry's needs. Um, we're made up of large and medium OEMs, um, as well as uh, supp- heat treat suppliers and. Uh, furnace manufacturers, and uh, I can give you the full list of companies later, but uh, it's their collective wisdom that really guides the project selections and implementation. 
So the process we use is the companies propose the research. They work with me, and uh, they're like a project plan to the board, all of which is uh, people from industry. You don't get uh, you get my input, but it's projects that industry knows that today they, it is important to them. Okay, great. So this is an this is primarily a academic industrial uh, partnership. Yes, we uh, use our uh, relationship with these companies to get some fairly large federal and military money for to con- to continue the research, which supports research that's going on in the center, but the research within the center is uh, driven by the, the industry and their needs. Okay. And is is the CHTE, which is the acronym for Center for Heat Treating Excellence, is it, is it a uh, Worcester Polytechnic Institute entity? I mean, is it owned by them? Yeah, it's, a, it's part of, uh, actually... A, a group called the Metal Process Institute, which is uh, several centers. The oldest one is the Aluminum Casting Research Lab. I think we call it now the Advanced Casting Research Lab. That's been read by led by Duran Apellian for mm-hmm. over thirty years, mm-hmm. uh, and that is the model we use that he developed uh, with working with the aluminum casting industry. There's the Center for Heat Treating Excellence. We also have a center that's uh, CRQ, the Center for Resource Recovery and Recycling, mm-hmm. which is part of that, but it's also funded by the government directly from, through the National Science Foundation. Got it. And uh, we also are part of uh, an ASM initiative that's kind of looking in uh, data. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you collect data, analyze data? Uh, and we work with the University of Connecticut and University of Rochester on that. Got it. Okay. All right. So in a, in, from 30,000 feet then, uh, Center for Heat Treat Excellence, a, a industry academic partnership has obviously some ties with government funding as well. WPI first, uh, Worcester Polytechnic. Yeah. It, underneath that is, a, is an entity called the Metal Processing Institute. And then Center for Heat Treat Excellence is part of that. Yeah, and uh, if you look at all the companies that are members of the, what we call MPI, the Metal Process Institute, uh, it has been as many as 100. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. All right, so let's step back then and talk about how, specifically, how the Center for Heat Treating Excellence got started. How long ago was it, founding members, things of that sort? Yeah, it's about 16 years ago. Uh, and it was uh, an idea from the ASM Heat Society R&D Committee as part of a planning activity. Mm-hmm. And they had determined that, that heat treating needed a research home in the United States. Because mm-hmm. you look around and a lot of universities have a little bit here, a little bit there, but they, de- they determined that. That whole effort was, re- was really led by Bob Gaster and Bruce Boardman from Deere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also with a lot of other OEMs, people from CAT, uh, and people from uh, you know the automotive as well as the aerospace industries. You, you we, said Bill was, Bernard from Surface, correct? Bill Bernard, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bill is, uh, yeah, he's, I think he's mostly retired, and his son BJ is the president, and Ben is the uh, you know one of the other head guys there. Who was the other gentleman? It was Bruce Boardman. 
Bruce Corman, who was okay. Bob Gaster's, who was Bob Gaster's boss. Okay. At, um, at, at cat, I mean at Deer. At Deer, John Deer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and we had a lot of support from uh, you know the major companies, uh, induction companies, you know, who besides the regular furnace companies, but induction companies, and then uh, you know the quenching fluid providers when right. we were getting started. Right. Right. If you're a member of the organization, what's the typical calendar look like for you in a year? How, how often do, do does a member meet? Uh, how often do they have to do work outside of meeting times? That type of thing. Okay. We have uh, two review meetings a year, mm-hmm. one in uh, June and another one in December. In addition, almost every member company is either a member of the board or a member of the project selection committee. Okay. And they meet peri- they meet periodically, you know, by a conference call or by Zoom or, you know, to have to conduct business when necessary. Mm-hmm. The project selection committee is the one who meets the most because they need to collect all the project proposals, then get together and discuss them and, you know, make their determination about what would be the most most interest. And then that then that me. Uh, but you know, is this something you guys could do? Right. You know, is this fit into you know capability you have? Right. Right. Okay. Got it. So, Jeff, what what perspective can you give us on how the Center for Heat Treating Excellence benefits members and their companies? When you talk to the members about one of the things that they really appreciate about the CHTE. Yeah, they they like the research. You know, there's a there's a lot of benefits that come with being a, a part of the CHTE. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that you hear people talk about the most is they like the networking that happens at the meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a couple of social events during the meetings. That we meet twice a year. We meet once in usually in June and once in December. Right. And there's usually a couple of social events associated with that. And a lot of people get to talk with colleagues that are in other industries and things. And there's a lot of sharing. Uh, that goes on, and of course, you know, people are always careful to to watch the proprietary information sure. and, and be non-competitive and things like that. Sure. Um, but the uh, the simple truth is, there's not that many times you get to get a bunch of heat treaters together and put them in a room and let them talk. That's right. And uh, and there's been so I've had some very very good conversations with people that are in industries that are are very different than mine, but happen to have a lot of the same problems. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I've done with some people that make parts in, in the, for heavy trucks that right. we've been able to sit down and say, hey, you know what, we both have this same problem. Let's, yeah. let's yeah. share some information here. Some of the other benefits that people have if they're members of CHTE is, uh, first of all, the staff at CHTE is available for phone consults to members at any time. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if I'm, I'm scratching my head over a particular issue and I'm not quite sure how to approach it or there's some information that I need, I can call up there and I can get a hold of Dr. Sisson or, or Dr., Dr. Yang or whatever, and I can say, hey, what do you guys think about this? Or uh-huh. they may say, well, yeah, you know what, we may not have your answer, but we have some modeling software. We can run that for you. Let's send, us some, send us some information. We'll run the model for you and get you the results back. Right. So you have this, uh, this, uh, this kind of thing where they're – uh, the staff is available to, for you to consult, and that's basically at, at, at no charge. Right. The other benefit is if you said, hey, you know what, I have a particular research project that I want to do, but I don't really want this to be part of the consortium because this is going to be proprietary, something just for me. Mm-hmm. Um, then we're able to engage the, uh, the resources of Worcester Polytech without having to pay any overhead fees. 
And if you've okay. ever done, if you've ever looked at any university research contracts, the overhead fees can be substantial. Sure. So it's a, it's a nice uh, discount uh, if someone wants to get something like that done. They can get some directed research and get a pretty substantial discount on what it would be if you went to another university where you don't already have a standing relationship. When we return, we'll hear about the projects and the contributions of CHTE. But I want to take a minute to talk about Furnaces North America 2020. The Metal Treating Institute and their media sponsor, Industrial Heating Magazine, are really excited to launch the industry's very first high-scale, full-blown heat treating virtual event, complete with technical sessions, exhibits, and networking opportunities. This high-tech, easy-to-navigate event will be as close to being there as possible. You can even live video chat with other attendees and exhibitors if that's what you want to do. The dates of the event are still the same, September 30th through October 2nd. But instead of being in Louisville, Kentucky and being an all-day event, it will be an abbreviated daily event from the comfort of your home or office. There will be upwards of 30 technical sessions in a full virtual exhibit hall. I've seen the previews and I like it. Heat Treat Today will be promoting this event heavily, as we are doing here. So find out more about this event by visiting www.FurnacesNorthAmerica.com. So let's get back to our interview. I'm talking with Jeff Fuller right now, from uh, who is the metallurgy manager at Amstead Rail Company. And Jeff, I'd like to know how the CHTE projects are managed and distributed to benefit CHTE members. Could you nail down or just discuss one, or maybe two if you've got two, research projects that have been most helpful to you to Amstead? Okay. Well, one of the projects was, um, this one's been, been helpful to us, and it was actually one of the ones that drew my attention early on. Mm-hmm. Um, Worcester Polytech was looking at creating a carburizing calculator, yeah. uh, which they call Carb Tool. Mm-hmm. And um, I had worked with some of the commercially available carburizing calculators that you can get out there, and they're okay. Uh, they all have their own little benefits to them. What I really attracted me to Carb Tool was the fact that it had uh, more more detail in it. I could put in different geometries. I could put in a lot of different kind of processing steps, and I was able to get more information out of the Carb Tool than I was out of some of the uh, some of the more commercial. Uh, software packages mm-hmm. that, that were out there. And um, in fact, it, it was so interesting to me that it, at one point I actually went to them and said, hey, guys, I, I really like this, but the user interface is a little clunky. Mm-hmm. And so they got me they got me in touch with one of the computer science people up at Worcester, mm-hmm. and we helped make the user interface you know, much more usable, and we went through several versions of that. Nice. And uh, now that's, that's a tool that's available for people, uh, for members. They can all download that and use that license-free. Mm. And, um, and they're, they're working on another one now that's going to be for uh, nitrocarburizing. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Carbon nitriding. Right. So, 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 so it's kind of nice because we're kind of getting, you know, in addition to the, the the straight research projects, we've done research projects on induction tempering. We did a, a research project on on how to extend uh, furnace fixture life. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, we're, we're currently doing some projects on distortion control. Mm-hmm. Um, we did some on non destructive testing. 
um, in addition to those kind of projects that are more kind of generally research-related, uh, we also have some of these kind of practical projects where you end up with a, a, a tool you know, that you can actually use going yeah. forward. Yeah. Now, that that uh, CARB tool that you were talking about and the one that might be coming around for nitriding, I think you said, is it uh, is it commercially available to non-members? I mean, is there does it come at a price no. or is it not available at all? No, it's not available at all to non-members. Okay. So if you want to get that tool, and we've talked about, you know, various times we've talked, you know, how should we look at doing, uh, you know, should we look at trying to, to, to commercialize some of this or, and or should we not? Uh, we've had some discussions with some other nonprofits about, you know, is there some way that maybe some of our research could be distributed uh, through other channels? But, you know, the truth is the consortium exists for the benefit of the consortium members. So we have to be careful about that. We want to make sure that people are getting their value and you know, we aren't giving things away Right. Uh, that um, uh, the, the consortium members paid for it, and, and they have a right to it. People that haven't paid for it, you know, we haven't really looked at how we would price that out, and that, it's real, not really our model. Right. Our model really is join right. the consortium, participate with us, help sponsor the research, and then we'll uh, you know, then we all get to share the benefits. And Professor Sisson, let's jump back over to you. Who's involved in these projects and the programs? Yeah, just a little preface here. The membership kind of goes up and down with the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, uh, you know, and the pricing that we have, et cetera. But uh, in general, the, I mean, in general, the current memberships are uh, a relatively new member is Acceler Metal, which is, you know, a very large steel company. Right. Uh, on Rail, uh, we've always had ASM International as a, as a member. Mm-hmm. Uh, body coat has always been a big supporter, being you know a very large heat treating operation. Right, and then we have Caterpillar and Cummins and uh, Fiat, uh, Chrysler, uh, John Deere, Pratt and Whitney, and Sikorsky uh, is you know kind of OEMs, and then mm-hmm. we have two of the big companies, uh, Dante Solutions. Mm-hmm. Which does uh, heat treat modeling, right. and then the thermocal software that does all the thermodynamics and phase predictions. Right. We have uh, let's see, missing here. Uh, DKM Center Metals does a lot of work with us recently because we're doing more in additive manufacturing. And, and, I'm uh, sorry, they who was that company? Who was that company? Yeah, GKN GKN Center Metals. GKN Center Metals. Okay, right. I got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they, uh, they, we do a lot of work with them. Uh, kind of a new focus that's emerged over the last two or three years is in uh, post-processing of additive Thanks, Rick. So, Jeff, have those relationships with suppliers in the industry been helpful? Oh, I think it has, and I think that's a really great point. One of the things that we have is we, and we're always, by the way, we're always looking for new members. We're always looking for greater diversity in our membership base. Mm-hmm. We want to broaden it. The more members we get, the more projects we can take on, the more work we can do. Right. Um, but, but one of the things that we find that's really great is, for example, we have a project right now where we need a particular kind of access to a piece of equipment mm-hmm. in order to do part of the testing. Mm-hmm. And one of our equipment manufacturers is like, yeah, we can do that. Mm-hmm. We can put that piece of equipment together, and you guys can use that for purposes of this test. Right. Uh, we've had this happen uh, both with the, the kind of the more traditional heat treating equipment. We've had that done with some of the induction heat treating equipment. Um, and we've had the ability to to kind of pair up with certain members. So what we do when we create a project is 
we uh, the first thing we do is we have we we go out to that we have a project selection committee, uh-huh. and the project selection committee goes out to the different members and they say, hey, what do you guys want to work on? What, what's of interest to you in the industry? Right. And we get a lot of different ideas, and then they they, they kind of look at the the degree of interest in the different ideas. But we also look at the diversity of the ideas because what we want to make sure is that we don't completely drive projects in one direction and then leave some of our membership out in the cold. Right. So uh, so what we do is we look at the diversity of the, of the projects. We also look at the interest in the projects. Also, the relative success. You know, do we think we can be successful with this project? Is this completely off the wall? Right. Um, and then what we'll do is we, we come up with the project's uh, um, um, scope, and yeah. we come up with a project description, and then what ends up happening is a focused group is put on that project. And what we will do is put people on that focus group that have a high interest in the project and also have resources to provide for the project. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we have a project here recently where we have one member that's interested in something that is uh, induction-related, and we also have an induction company that's one of our members. Well, you know what? We're going to put those on that, that focus group, and they can work together yeah. directly along with the WPI staff to help drive that project forward and bring it to a conclusion. And so that's great because instead of us sitting around going, gee, who's going to do that? We've already got people in the room associated with the project that already know how to get things done or may even already have the equipment or the resources that we need to get something done. So you at least have an implicit commitment already to provide whatever resources need to be provided to get get the task done. Right. I mean, you know, there's subject to cost and, and things like that, sure. and every, every company has their own resource constraints. But, yes, it's been very successful so far mm-hmm. yeah. doing it that way. Uh, and it's because we have that, that breadth and diversity of membership. If we had only users, mm-hmm. then we would be much more uh, dependent on having to use only the facilities at WPI or only commercial services that we had to hire to accomplish tasks that we didn't already have. Because if you think about it, if we're doing research, we probably don't already have that equipment. If we already had that equipment or that setup, we'd already be using it. Um, So kind of just by the very nature of it, we're often talking about things that we we don't have. So uh, if it was just users, we would be a lot... It would take us a lot longer to get things done. It would be a lot more difficult. Right. Having the equipment manufacturers and, the, and like the fluid suppliers and things like that involved mm-hmm. is a big, big, big help. Yeah. And Rick, when all the research is done, frankly, who owns it and how's it shared? Well, the, the formally WPI owns it, mm-hmm. and the we we hold it uh, confidential, mm-hmm. uh, mostly, uh, and. Uh, uh, Company can use anything uh, that we that is then developed on any of these projects uh, royalty free. Okay. Uh, so if we decide we want to pursue a patent, then even if we get a patent, then you can, they can use this royalty free, uh, and they can do it. We've had in cases where WPI doesn't pursue a patent, then a, a, a company can. And we have a semi-formal process to say I'd like to get a patent on what you guys did. Mm-hmm. And you got to let the other members know, and you know, see how that's going to work out. But uh, we rarely get uh, have have any issues okay. with doing that. So uh, it's owned by WPI, but uh, the content is uh, strictly for the members. And that's my understanding as well. Uh, now, so yeah, we have um, we had an interesting uh, project a few years ago where we came up with a really great process for. Uh, doing a kind of a, a treatment that would help extend fixture life. Mm-hmm. 
turns out none of our members are in that fixture business. Um, <laughs> huh, huh. <laughs> So it's kind of an interesting thing because we're all like, hmm, this looks really great, but how do we do this? How do we commercialize this? And yeah. and I think there were some discussions held, but it didn't actually you know go anywhere, and yet we still have this knowledge about how it could be done, how it might be done. Huh. Uh, but a lot of the other things are um, are much more uh, more immediately available, if you will. Right, right, and right. Some, you know what? One of the other things that people have to remember, if they're going to join a consortium, every project isn't going to be relevant to what you do. So, for example, a few years ago, we did a big project on induction tempering. Mm -hmm. Fascinating project. I don't do any induction heat treat. Right. I I learned a lot by going through, and, and, you know, I have access to all of that information. I have access to all of that research. Mm -hmm. Um, But that doesn't affect my position here because I don't use induction heat treat in this job currently. Right. But there's a lot of other things. When I go to my boss and we talk about, you know, uh, the justification for our membership, one of the things I talk about is, you know, of, of the projects, how many of them that are current are relevant to what we do and what's coming up and what's in the yeah. pipeline. Yeah. Uh, because they're not 100% going to be projects that are going to mean something to me. Right. But that's okay because right. we're all, you know, we're all benefiting. Some of the carburizing projects are beneficial to me but aren't beneficial to the induction people. Yeah. But we're all working on it together. Right. And we all get benefit out of it. How, how, roughly how many projects are going on at one time? Uh, right now we have two main projects and one and one uh, sort of kind of a side project mm-hmm. going on at the moment. Uh, and this is completely based on how many members we have. Right. So uh, right, right now we're running around 14 members in the consortium, mm-hmm. some big, big companies and some smaller companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see the member list on the CHT website. Sure. But we, um, uh, if we had 20, 25 members, we'd probably be running three or four projects. And do those those projects tend to last a year, two years? Uh, they tend that? to last a, a, usually two years is a project okay. length. Okay. It takes a while to get get the team together, get things moving, start getting results, then put everything together and do the report. So sure. typically a project's about two years long. Okay. All right. Super. Jeff, thank you very much for uh, for being with us today. Appreciate your time. All right. Yes. And thank you, Doug. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you as well. So we hope this podcast has been helpful. We hope you've learned more about the Center for Heat Treating Excellence and how it's leveraging networking and mutually beneficial goals for the benefit of the heat treat industry. If you would like to contact either of these gentlemen, you can email me personally at doug at heattreattoday.com. Professor Richard Sisson is also open to hearing from you in person at the Furnaces North America Trade Show in late September and October, which is now a 100% virtual event. Or you can contact Professor Sisson via his email address, which is simply Sisson, which is S-I-S-S-O-N, at WPI.edu. You can also reach out directly to the Center for Heat Treating Excellence. Simply go on the web and Google Center for Heat Treating Excellence. Looking for more Heat Treat Radio? You can access previous Heat Treat Radio episodes at www.heattreattoday.com slash radio or simply search the web for Heat Treat Radio and we should be the very first result. Also, please reach out to me at my email address which is doug at heattreattoday.com if you have any questions about this podcast or suggestions for future podcasts. We love hearing some new ideas. Additionally, if you would like to be a sponsor of the podcast on Heat Treat Radio, 
please send a message to my email so we can be in touch. Again, that's Doug at HeatTreatToday.com. In the podcast, I mentioned the annual 101 Heat Treat Tips Collection, which will be distributed in this year's Heat Treat Today's Furnaces North America Print Edition. These are great resources for in-house heat treaters to learn more about techniques in their profession. And you can easily submit your tip to Heat Treat Today radio editor Karen Ganser at karen at heattreattoday.com. This is a great way for suppliers to reach out to end users about how to get the most out of their in-house heat treat equipment. You can find more tips in Heat Treat Today's 2019 September edition. Simply go to www.heattreattoday.com and select Digital Editions under the Heat Treat Media Navigation tab. Or simply search our site for 101 Heat Treat Tips. Special thanks again goes to Furnaces North America for their support of Heat Treat Radio. Don't miss the Heat Treat Industries fully loaded first virtual heat treat event happening on September 29th through October 2nd, right in the comfort of your own office or home. Find out more at www.furnacesnorthamerica.com. This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advance written permission from Heat Treat Today. The talented audio producer of this podcast, Jonathan Lloyd from Butler, Pennsylvania, created and mixed most of the music that you heard on this podcast. Thanks, Jonathan, for the great work and congratulations on the wedding bells in your future, very near future. I'm your host, Doug Glenn. Thanks for listening.